The England players said their goodbyes to each other today and to their coach Terry Venables and there were more words of consolation for Gareth Southgate who missed the vital penalty. It seemed only his mother thought he should have done better. Terry Lloyd watched the squad pack up and go home. Scoreboard shines out, Netherlands 1, England 4. Two goals for Alan Shearer, two for Teddy Sheringham, one for Patrick Clivert in reply. But England go marching triumphantly into the quarter-finals where they play Spain. Oh, here's Gascoigne. Gascoigne, he can finish it here! Hello everybody, welcome to the Teams of Our Lives with myself, Marcus Speller, and his self, Andy Brassel. Hello. You right, Ando? Yeah, I'm well, you? Yeah, bruv. Cooking. Still sizzling. <laughs> we, are, <laughs> we are in the midst of uh, the European Championships and, and we've got some special edition European Championship Teams of Our Lives for you, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Let me stress right now, these were recorded just before the tournament, okay? So, <coughs> excuse me, we will try and uh, 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 and bear that in mind, but please do bear that in mind as well. So we're not going to make reference to uh, Euro 2020. Anyway, enough of the bollocks. Let's start with England's Euro 96 side. Woo! Was that a round of applause, Andy, or was that a, a <coughs> shake of the head of, ah, oh, we should have won it? What was that? My, my hands were full. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a vocal celebration because I don't think I've really enjoyed mm-hmm. watching an England team as much as I did in Euro 96. Um, I think part of it um, would be to do, I guess, at the stage of life I was and where I was mm-hmm. at the time, just coming towards the end of uh, my first year at university in mm-hmm. uh, living in a host city, uh, Newcastle, which was, of course, the scene of the great Romania goal that wasn't um, in, in this championship. But Remind me what that one was. Yeah, it was in the game um, between Romania, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, Bulgaria at St. James's Park. Where um, not Haji setting it was it was him who set it up, but it was uh, Dorinel Montiano actually who uh, mm. smashed it from outside the area, hit the underside of the crossbar, went a mile over the line, and it didn't get given. It was it was I want to say Pedro Mendes at Old Trafford kind of over yeah. the line. Yeah, they were quite annoyed. The Romanians. Well, you can imagine, Andy. You can imagine. Um, but it was, it was Euro '96 was. For my money, and a lot of English people's money, I said this on the Ramble recently, the the tournament which sort of put the Euros almost on level pegging with the World Cup. It was, yeah, uh, it, it, yeah it did feel like that. And uh, Euro 92 had eight teams. This was the, the first time that the tournament was expanded to 16 teams. I know there were different formats of the Euros before, but in... Mm. in, in in that sort of traditional sort of 16-team format, quarterfinal, semifinal, final, of course. Uh, that's that's how it went. And England, one can forget, actually, how um, concerning it was 
for being an English uh, or an England football fan going into that tournament. England, of course, uh, 1990 World Cup, we all know about that. They were disappointing uh, at Euro 92. They failed to qualify for World Cup 94. And Andy, the one that people often forget is they failed to win the Umbro Cup in 1995. <laughs> it, it, so many times this slips under the, the historical radar. The tournament featured Brazil, Sweden and Japan. England narrowly beat Japan at home, which everyone was like, bloody hell, I think it was a late David Platt penalty, if my memory serves me well. Um, they scored two very late goals against Sweden to salvage a, a, a draw, 3-3. And then they lost to Brazil 3-1 at Wembley, which was the only match Terry Venables lost while in charge of England, other than, of course, the penalty shootout, though he was only in charge for a couple of years and he didn't have a qualifying group to go through. But that was another point. England didn't have to qualify for the Euros. They were the host nations, so they were just playing friendlies. They were very uninspiring friendlies for the most part. The team didn't look great. Um, up front, Teddy Sheringham wasn't convincing. I remember at the time thinking, this is ridiculous. Why is he not playing, say, Les Ferdinand? Although I didn't quite, as a youngster, understand two strikers complementing each other, as obviously Shearer and Sheringham would go on to do. But Alan Shearer had gone 12 international games without scoring going into the tournament. And in the Umbro Cup, the, the centre-halves used for that tournament were Gary Pallister, Colin Cooper, John Scales and David Unsworth, none of whom were in the Euro squad. Before the tournament began, England went out to the Far East. There was all that trouble when they went on the binge with the the old dentist chair. You say the um, trouble, you mean the fun. You thought, well, it depends how you spin it. Um, <laughs> they did win a friendly out there, 1-0. I think Les Ferdinand scored against a Hong Kong 11 side. So if you think about all that, and how this team is remembered very fondly and celebrated, of course, partly because, you know, they reached the semi-final, which is a rare thing for an England team, but also, you know, the, the song and, and, the, and the host nation, blah, 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 blah. And also it was a time in England when, or, or Britain, when, uh, you know, new labour were on the rise, which gave a lot of people a bit of hope. The Oasis, music, blur, et cetera. The music scene, yeah. exactly, all that, all that kind of jazz. Um, so you put it into all that, but but one can forget that the build-up to that tournament from an England footballing point of view was pretty piss poor. Well, yeah, I mean, they were decried as idiots in, in the press, mm. um, particularly Sheringham and, and Gascoigne and, and, and Steve McManaman among those. So um, it felt as if they had something to prove. I mean, as you said, um, the Alan Shearer goal drought was... Another thing, there was some debate over whether he should start the opening game against Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And England had a lot of good strikers then. Robbie Fowler, yeah. as I say, the, the aforementioned Les Ferdinand. And this was the bit really where Shearer's international career mm. took off. Um, you know, it's not only that he finished tournament top scorer. I, th- I think you look at the importance of the goals as well. And I guess the opening goal against of the tournament against Switzerland Mm. on um, the Saturday afternoon game on, on, on the 8th of June. That, I, I remember that very vividly because I had an exam in the morning mm. and um, I was tasked with uh, filling up our beer fridge uh, before the big game. Now, I realized I was a bit pressed for time. I mm. also realized that there was quite a low pass mark in the first year and it didn't really count towards your final degree. So um, with half an hour left of... A uh, ninety-minute exam. I thought oh, I've probably done enough to pass, and um, made my way to the supermarket to make sure I got everything done and uh, got got the real stuff done. I passed just, yeah, and um, I, I got the I got the fridge full, which is the the most important thing. But if it, it fell at that 
moment that when mm-hmm. Shearer scored that goal, yeah, it was lift. all going to be okay. And lift yet, off, baby. Lift and off. Yet. Well, it was the way he finished it as well for a, for a striker who one could think he was maybe low on confidence. Mm. The way he just lashed the ball in off the post. It was a hell of a finish. And and that that England were, well, we thought were off and running, but then, of course, the second half of that match came. In fact, to the point of, in the first half, Gaza did a bit like a Rabona pass down the wing to, I think it was, would it have been Steve McManaman? Whoever it was. It, you know, he brought out that trick and it felt like, oi, oi, here we go. And uh, it, there was a little bit of a sort of a carnival atmosphere for five minutes or whatever it was. And then Roy Hodgson, Switzerland, uh, came back into it in the second half with a better side, got an equaliser, and they did deserve to be level. Um, and it sort of, yeah, it was a bit of an anticlimax, Andy. And with the Scots drawing with the Dutch in the other game, it was an interesting group, and it wasn't the foregone conclusion that England fans maybe didn't believe, but certainly wanted to um, to happen. No, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't a disaster, of, of, of course, um, no. not winning the first game, but it, it was really, really deflating. And I think put a pinprick in that um, expectation. But I, I think in retrospect, the fact that Shearer got his goal was absolutely yeah. vital to the way that the rest of the tournament unfolded. But... Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, as you say, to go back and watch these games because our memories of the the tournament and, like I said, from, in terms of watching England just as a, a fan, I think those are my most fond memories of, of, mm. of watching England during that tournament. As with a lot of European championships, like the Andre Arshavin championship of Euro 2008, where um, mm. he had two good games and ended up being a player of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, England weren't amazing for a lot for a lot of this, but uh-huh. but but that that's tournament football for you. I think yeah. the, the the fact that they managed to make it count at the, the the biggest moments. I mean, we saw how good they they could be. Um, the third game of the group against the Dutch, um, they're uh-huh. absolutely fantastic. It still feels like a a high watermark to me for England, and of course, the Dutch had their their share of behind the scenes turmoil. I don't think that's any 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 secret. But when, a good team, though. yeah, they did have a good team, and I yeah. think once you got to the third goal in that, the Gascoigne dribble, the yeah. Sheringham to Shearer, you think, yeah, this is th- this is actually really good, and there's yeah. a genuine possibility of England going somewhere. You know, there seemed um, an invention, an economy. Mm-hmm. And you can talk about the, the the passion and all that sort of stuff that that, that that surrounds a home tournament. This was a smart team that was smartly mm. set up by by Terry Venables as well that could take advantage of their their good their good moments in in yeah. games. And I, I think if we go back a little bit before that, uh, the second game mm. of the tournament against Scotland, and w- were you still living in Scotland at the time? I was, yeah, yeah. Wow, I mean, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. well, I, I, I want to come on to that in a in a minute, but <laughs> you know, England played with danger for a lot of that, but it, it mm-hmm. felt to me that the the two minutes in which Seaman saved the McAllister penalty and then yeah. Paul Gascoigne scored what, for a lot of people listening to this, I suspect will be their favourite ever England goal, <laughs> and that's before we get to the dentist chair celebration. Oh yeah, that changed everything. It did, uh, and yeah, going into, I think that was it. We 
with drawing against the Swiss, suddenly there was even more importance on that Scotland game, as if there couldn't be any more. And and it was a good Scotland side. You look at that Scotland team. Yeah. And it was, yes, the England side were a bit better, but it, it's, it, it, you know, the sides were were, were more evenly matched um, than they have been in more recent years. Again, I stress we're, we're recording this before the tournament started, so Scotland might have beaten England 3-0 or whatever by the time you listen to this at Wembley <laughs> this summer. But 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 they were more, more, more uh, evenly matched. And uh, in that first half... Scotland probably shaded it, and the Scotland fans were certainly in good voice at half time. But talking about the way Terry Venable set up and um, and a little nod to sort of his tactics and whatnot, key substitution at half time was bringing on Jamie Redknapp, Redknapp yeah. and taking off Stuart Pearce, going to um, a slightly different formation, uh, which I suppose would have been would it have been a back three with with Neville Southgate and Adams maybe a back three, um, although I, my memory um, sort of gets the better of me there. It could well have been a back four with maybe Darren Anderton kind of slotting in and doing something. But it certainly gave England um, superiority a little bit there. Redknapp um, was involved. Yeah, they went to four, didn't they? And I I think Redknapp made all the difference because he really Mm. got the game moving. And England had been very stodgy before that. But in terms of just using the width of the pitch at Wembley, um, Redknapp made, made a massive difference. He did, and you could see that with the first goal, the way they used the pitch. And it was a lovely move from England's point of view. Obviously, Scotland will be disappointed. And Shearer again. And it was like, there's the goal. That's it. It's happening. Um, and in that game, though, uh, Andy, um, it, it, people sometimes forget that Teddy Sheringham missed a close-range header not long after that goal, which Gorham saved superbly. Mm. But it should have been 2-0. And I remember at the time being a schoolboy living in Scotland, thinking, oh, he should have scored that. That would have probably seen the game out. And then, of course, Scotland come back into it. Great save from Seaman. And then there's the penalty. But we can't forget that Yuri Geller bailed us out of that. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. We did, did, what do you mean, is that right? Do you not remember Yuri's testimony about this? No, I, I, I've forgotten a lot of things that Yuri Geller said, so please. Do you, have you honestly forgotten this? Yeah, carry on. It's the most important contribution the man's ever made to the the, the wider world. He um, apparently was in a hot air balloon or something along those lines, some sort of blimp, um, not far from the stadium. Goodness knows what he was doing up there. And uh, as <laughs> McAllister took the penalty, of course, the, the ball moves ever so slightly. And that was Yuri's mind because he thought it would be important for England and the country to progress through the tournament. Uh, and And that would help. Now, presumably... His, his, his hot air balloon or his mind power stopped working in the semi-final when the penalty shootout came along. But we, we were grateful maybe, for that nonetheless. Maybe, maybe he just wasn't out in a hot air balloon that day. I mean, it could well you have know, been. I mean, I know he's an extravagant guy, but hot air ballooning every day of the week, I mean, you can't be doing that, can you? Well, you wouldn't have thought so. But, no. but Andy, the, 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 that moment, though, was, was a great moment for David Seaman because England, that England team was full of big characters, really. And I know that that football players and, you know, football's changed a bit. But if you look at that side, you know, Seaman, Adams, Pierce, Ince, Gascoigne, um, Sheringham, Shearer, uh, big characters, a lot of a lot of sort of captains in there, mm. if, if you see what I mean. And Seaman was one of them. And the way he saved that, yeah, okay, it was McAllister was disappointed that he didn't sort of stick it in the corner. But the way kind of Seaman stood up to it, it was, it was a great save. And as you say, 60 seconds later, 
Gascoigne then seals the win with a superb goal. And then the celebration, which was quite iconic, which was doing the old dentist chair and the way the England player celebrated, you know, that was the game over. And I remember it was, I think, Frank Skinner and David Baddiel saying, you know, they were in the crowd, that the sun was shining. Gazza scores that great goal. One of England's greatest ever players and most celebrated players. The sun comes out, three lions starts playing, everyone starts singing it. And that was such a huge moment. And, 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 and that probably gave the feeling and the confidence to take into the game against the Dutch, mm. which really was the performance, one of the great performances that England have produced, certainly at a tournament um, in their history, you would say. Yeah, it was, it, it was brilliant. And um, against a team that was a perennial at the top table of, of world football at the time. Um, mm. As we said, there was a lot of strife bit behind the scenes, a lot of infighting, um, something that I'm, I'm sure had never had happened to um, the Dutch uh, tournament before or since. But mm. <laughs> it was um, it, it was still a, a real feather in the cap, a performance of, of that quality, not mm. just digging in to, to, to beat a team like, the Dutch, but actually playing some really flowing, creative yeah. football a, a, along the way. And mm-hmm. at, at that point, it was clear what click there was between Terry Venables and the players. And also, I think the tension that had lifted, as you said, from that Scotland game. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, we've got to go back, I think, briefly to, to Gaza's goal in that. It, it was... <laughs> Remarkable, and it's quite poignant, I think, when you look back at it because it's his last really great moment for England, mm. you know, of all, all the great moments that he did provide um, between between ninety and and ninety six, and you know, disappointing, I, I, I suppose that it, it was it was relatively scarce because mm-hmm. um, you know England weren't in great shape in ninety two, as you said, didn't make the World Cup at all in in 94 so that and world cup 90 is sort of joint apexes of gaz's england career i've you know he always could have done more of course but i think those are those those are two pretty good monuments to his talent i would say Mm, yeah Uh, just just the cheek of it like like to score a goal like that in a huge european championship game at, at wembley which the touch over Hendry, it's almost like a That's especially Hendry. A, 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 you yeah, recently a, a won terrific, the, the Premier League. A, a, a terrific player, and one of you know one of the best defenders out there at the time. It's almost something that you might sort of try to be cheeky in training to, to actually realise that in a game. I, I think it's worth reiterating how extraordinary that is. Yeah, and also the celebration. I always touched on it, but the way he runs over, and I can't remember who the, the quickest player to him was. Maybe it was Steve McManaman, but yeah, the way he the way he runs over, and he he hasn't enjoyed the goal yet. He's well, he sort of celebrates. He runs over to the bottle, and then just you can see him like almost shouting at someone, going, "There's the bottle! There, do it now! We're going to do it. this. Is happening! This is happening!" <laughs> then he lies on his back, and then the absolute joy of it. And that celebration, of course, was almost like two fingers to the press, uh, if you like. Uh, well, I mean, you can be interpreted that way um, because of the, the the crap they gave the England side uh, because of all that dentist chair, all the drinking and so on. Um, but England then, they were through. But the, the game against the Dutch, it was one of the my, 
one of the best nights of football I've ever had because I was still living in Scotland. And of course, the Scots needed England to do them a favour and they needed a goal swing because um, just to a bit of uh, just a caveat at the time of recording Scotland have never uh, never reached the second round of a major tournament before and England go 1-0 up against the Dutch then Ali McCoy scores a beauty against the Swiss at Villa Park yeah yeah at, at Villa Park yeah. and and then we were, I didn't actually watch the England game I've, I've subsequently watched it back many times but the game shown was Scotland versus Switzerland uh, up there of course and uh, and then suddenly the England goals are going in, and it was the only time, for obvious reasons, uh, that Scotland were cheering on England because they needed the, the, the you know they needed England to do them a favour, uh, and so every England goal that was going in, we were all celebrating it together, and it was the only time when England and Scotland fans in unison were, were, were celebrating. And then, of course, Patrick Clivert nips in and, and ruins the party for the Scots. I but thought that I, was going to be a different ending to that story, Marcus. I thought you were, going to, I thought you were going to say, and um, the moment where Patrick Clivert scored to knock Scotland out with what in an isolated sense would have seemed like quite a futile goal in the context of the match was actually the one that saw them through. I thought you were going to say, and I cheered Patrick Clivert's goal the most. <laughs> no, but I, the thing is though, I, I, it was a shame because I used to support England and Scotland. It was just because of all the crap I used to get. I thought, oh, do you know what? Sod you. You know what I mean? But anyway, that's uh, so, the, so, that, so that was great. And then, and then into the quarterfinals and against Spain, England were a bit fortunate. Spain had certainly one goal, maybe two ruled out a little bit harshly for offside. Yeah, Julio Salinas's goal where he was yeah. played on by Tony Adams. Yeah, that's that, right. Uh, Spain were quite slick in that. But if you talk about England being unlucky on penalties, as people so often do in, in, in major mm-hmm. championships, um, Spain were just unlucky in major championships up yeah. until they they win the Euros in, in 2008. And at that point, they were still in the thick of that. Of course, not the same quality of side that they had in 2008, but a very, very good mm-hmm. side that England found quite hard to handle. Yeah. And, but, but, but England, England showed bravery at least. Mm-hmm. I, I think you can say that to, to, to hang in there, even if they were, they were far from fluent. Yeah. And it was funny because England, people forget that they did win a penalty shootout at that tournament. Obviously it's forgotten the way, um, it happened in the semi-final, losing that one to, to Germany. So I totally get that. But oddly, England looked very assured um, in that penalty shootout against Spain and the first five takers against Germany. We'll get to that in a sec. But yeah, Alan Shearer stuffs is in the top corner. David Platt is pretty much in the top corner. Stuart Pearce, of course, hammers home and celebrates. And, and again, in a penalty shootout, you, you shouldn't ever celebrate too early. But as soon as Pearce scored that, everyone was like, oh, we've got it. Um, I yeah, think because was... by that by that point, um, England already had an advantage because Fernando Hierro had hit the crossbar with the first yeah. one. But yeah. I think after Italia ninety, it was such a redempt a redemption moment for mm. um, Stuart Pearce. The, the, the way he celebrated it, it meant so much to him, mm. and it, it was so brave the way he just like struck it and yeah. you know with, with with such conviction as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, then, it's, it's funny. He he struck it as if he wasn't thinking about 1990 and then he celebrated it and you can yes. tell that he was. Well, and I think that's probably it. He was so yeah. focused and then he kind of, he, he let it all out. I mean, he said he didn't plan to kind of go 
you know, all mad and so on in, in celebration. Mm. But then it all seemed rosy. So England, you know, they'd been playing good. They'd beaten Scotland. They'd hammered the Dutch. They'd won a penalty shootout. And it just seemed like, oh, well, this is this is it. We've we've reached this new high. And then after two minutes against Germany in the semi-final, England go 1-0 up and it's Alan Shearer again. I mean, Andy, it all seemed too good to be true. And it was. Um, yes, of course. Yeah. And But it, it, it was unfortunate because... Okay, this Germany side wasn't the equal of their 1990 vintage or even arguably their Mm. Euro 92 vintage. But it was still a very good Germany side. Um, Of course, it was the year that uh, Matthias Sammer won uh, European Footballer of the Year and he was brilliant all tournament. But England were the better side in this. And in its way, this this was a better performance than the one against the Netherlands. But that's but again in 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 against West Germany in Italia ninety, England's best performance was probably in that semi final. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and I think in both of those games, and I would argue more so in Euro ninety six, they they couldn't have done anymore. They they, mm. they really could not have have done anymore. Yeah, and it, and I mean we remember. Don't need to go over it to make everybody we remember Anderton hitting the post and then Gaza nearly tapping in. And and for me, this is. I know life is made up of sliding doors moments, so it's almost like a, a bit of a redundant expression. But for me, if Gascoigne does tap that one in or Anderton's uh, one that comes back off the post goes in, it change. It, I, I honestly think it would have it would have changed uh, the kind of immediate. You know, it would have changed a lot, and I think England's. Um, terrible relationship with penalty shootouts might have not been so because they'd have had a positive experience beating Spain. And of course that experience, that positive experience was then undone again in the round after, as we saw with this. Um, But England would have gone on to the final, their first final since 66. Again, if you'll just allow me, I think they would have beaten the Czech Republic. You know, England, England were playing every game at home, um, at Wembley, you know, it, it, this, the tournament was set up for them to win, really. Uh, and had they have done that, you know, a lot of monkeys would have been off their back, if you see what I mean. But of course, it didn't work out like that. They then lose on penalties and everything seems to be reset. And then they go out on penalties in 98, 2004, 2006, 2012. Um, and I'm pr- probably missing one there, you know. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and it takes the man who misses the crucial spot kick against Germany in the semi-final, Gareth Southgate, to put it right. But again, we, when we have this sort of ridiculous attitude of, well, you can't practice penalties, quite clearly Venables had practiced or, or those players had practiced because, again, the first five takers for England looked very, very assured. Um, and I, I suppose they assumed that David Seaman would save one. But it goes to that sixth person, and Southgate himself admitted that he hadn't practiced, whereas other players had. And he goes up and is the unlucky man, and Germany march on. And it was devastating when England lost that semi final. It wasn't like in Russia in 2018 when we took the positives. Yeah, it was sad, but everyone, do you know what? That was a lot better that tournament we thought it was going to be, and we enjoyed it. And, you know, well, well done, lads. This was actually quite devastating. Yeah, and I think really the the effect that the tournament had had on the, the whole country because mm. I think you look at where English football was and where English football 
had been. You know, um, English clubs have been banned from Europe for a long time. They were only coming out of that relatively recently. Um, there had still been various incidents uh, at previous international tournaments, um, Euro 92 being being one, of course. And it, it was just a sense of, of positivity um, and improving the self-image of, of English football that mm. um, England could put on a good tournament, um, could really show its love for the game and really share it with the rest of Europe. It felt like a really important moment, I think, not just for the English national team, but for English football. And Mm. that was really English football, the continuation of it starting to come out of the darkness and, you know, becoming what it is today. I I think without, um, without Euro 96, we don't get to the point where the Premier League, for example, dominates the world as as, as quickly. I, I think it has a massive, massive influence mm. on the image of English football around Europe and English football's image of itself. I think you're absolutely right, Andy. And I think England, yeah. I mean, I've talked about the negative um, impact that it had on English football there, but you're right. There was also a lot of positives. And I think that it got the feel-good factor back with the national side. And it, it, yeah, it helped take us, bring us out of the doldrums of of what I described before the tournament of not qualifying for World Cup '94, really being a little bit rubbish and being very very disappointing to just being a little bit disappointing at major international tournaments. But I, <laughs> but I know what you mean. No, I I, I do take it. And uh, of course, again, um, at the time of recording, we don't know how England have got on in the Euros uh, this summer, but we'll leave it there uh, because uh, Euro 96, yeah, a fond one in the memory. Um, uh, but, you know, just it feels like a moment in time, as it often does, Andy. Yes, it does. Yes, but it was it a great. Does. It was a great moment in time. It was a great moment in time. Thank you very much, though, for listening to the teams of our lives, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back next week with another great team that shaped, influenced, or enriched our life in some way. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network.